Thank you for downloading the audio portion of the Everett Lee Show. Before we get on to the guest today that's on the program, there's a few things I want to mention that will help support the Everett Lee Show, and of course it will help Everett Lee out, and then you can enjoy this audio portion of the Everett Lee Show. If you're looking to start a podcast and already have a podcast and you're looking for an affordable podcasting hosting site, Podbeam's your number one choice. Podbeam offers statistics with in-depth analytics to manage your podcast needs. Use the promo code podbeam.com slash pbsignup and get a free month off. That's podbeam.com slash pbsignup to get a free month off and see why 1,500 episodes have been shared all over the world in the past 11 years with over 3,000 subscribers that have chose Podbeam as their number one hosting site. And if you're looking to get into advertising, Podbeam advertising, you'll get $100 off advertising when you sign up as a sponsorship over on podbeam.com slash pro slash PB sign up. That's podbeam.com slash pro slash PB sign up. Since 1995, HighSpots.com has grown to be the company it is by serving the wrestling fans throughout the world with a great selection of merchandise. HighSpots.com has everything a wrestling fan could want, including the latest WWE and TNA releases, classic wrestling merchandise, and their HighSpots.com exclusive releases. HighSpots.com is the leading online retailer for professional wrestling and mixed martial arts offering autographs figures, DVDs, apparel, wrestling gear, and even wrestling rings. Their largest clients include WWE, Impact Wrestling, ROH, and AEW. Click on the High Spots logo on the Everett Lee Show page over on podcast.net to order. Whether you are a wrestling fan, pro wrestler, or promoter, you can find what you're looking for at highspots.com. Podcast City Network. You're listening to the Everett Lee Show. Welcome to the Everett Lee Show. I'm the Everett Lee. Today on the program, I have a big guest. Today, we are going to throw it up and throw it down. For my guest. Hey, as you can hear right there, I want to welcome to the program to the Everett Lee Show. You may have seen him on Future Great Wrestling, FGW Shockwave, which you can catch every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Please welcome to the program none other than Big John Murray. How you doing, What's up? Big John? What's up, Everett? How are you, brother? I'm good, man. I am good. Before we started rolling, man, we're sitting there talking, and I, I mentioned that... Have you ever been mistaken for Kevin Nash before? And you you said you've been mistaken there before, and you've uh, met Kevin Kevin Nash before uh, in the past. Obviously, I've been mistaken by somebody who's never met Kevin because he's even bigger than I am. Oh, but yeah, uh, yeah he's, he's a big boy. But yes, I met him a couple of times. Uh, once in, I think it was upstate New York, uh, probably 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And then last year at the uh, Heroes and Legends show in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and he remembered me right off the bat. We, we caught up, we were talking, and uh, great guy. Absolutely amazing guy. But I, I what, you know, I get it once in a while. They're like, oh my God, you're like Kevin Nash, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, Sean and I were wrestling in Indiana one time, and these guys asked us to sign their, their flyer, their, their banner. And we signed it, and the guy looks at me and goes, thanks, Kevin. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. 
<laughs> wow. That's <laughs> But that's cool, man, because I mean, Kevin Ash, everything he did in wrestling, I mean, being one of the founding members of the NWO and just the Wolfpack, NWO Wolfpack, and then the rivalries he had and just his career along the way there. And even back prior before WCW when he was uh, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, man, back in the early ni- late mid-90s, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's quite humbling uh, to be even classed. Obviously, I'm not the same caliber of wrestler. He was, a, he was a founding father of a lot of things, and he was an instrumental with the development of the WCW. And uh, to even be called something like that or say that I look like him is quite humbling because he is a, he's a pioneer, and uh, I love his work. And as a matter of fact, that's what I model my gimmick after. I'm the enforcer of the five most wanted, just like he was with the Wolfpack and the NWO. And we do our thing, and I've modeled a lot of my uh, mannerisms and, and character after him. So it's really quite humbling that people would think that. Yeah, that's that. That's amazing what you, what I've seen you do on FGW, man. Big John comes out to the ring. Something's going to happen, man. Something's going to happen. He's going to make sure whoever he's out there with, you're with, you're going to make sure that they win if you have to get involved. And when you get involved... That's the last thing any the the other person in the ring wants to happen to them, man. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know what? It's uh, it's choke slams, it's uh, power bombs, it's jackknife power bombs, it's whatever I whatever seems to fit at the moment. And uh, they know that it's coming. You know what I mean? And when I get in the ring, I want to be the last thing that they see, except for the lights. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's that's amazing, man. I've I've joined everything, enjoyed everything I've seen seen when you come out there in FGW and stuff, coming out with the five most wanted, coming out there with Sean Sean Casey, David J, and just the five most wanted. I I had Cody Hawk on a while back ago and I didn't get to touch on too much of the five most wanted because we talked a lot about his matches and stuff. But Five most wanted man, that's not a gimmick. It's it's for real. It's the real deal. Quite or simply put, the five most wanted is is who we are. We, you know, you have in the wrestling business, you have people that go out there and they put on a, a gimmick, and when they leave the ring, they become somebody else. What we bring to the ring is who we are. Each one of us individually brings something separate to the table. Whether it's David J, who is an existing and a real agent in Hollywood, you have Sean, who's a two-time Playgirl centerfold model, uh, pretty boy. You got Cody, who is an award-winning trainer. Uh, he got the CAC Trainer Award last year, uh, first or well, the one of three that's ever been given. You got myself, um, who who's, comes from the rock and roll business, who handles personal security for not only Brett Michaels but many entertainers and artists and movie personnel. We've all done movies together, um, and you got Shauna Reed, who is. Uh, <laughs> Psycho, Psycho Shauna Reed. I mean, she is who she is. She's got split personalities. She's uh, one day you're good, one day you're bad. You, no matter what, she's still my sister. I love her to death. Um, I've never had a problem with her, but I've seen her snap on some people, and that's who she is, you know. And uh, most of the times, it's it's a legitimate um, reaction to something. She's not afraid to hold back, and I think that's why the WWE has used her so much because. She's real. She's she's uh, she's not vulnerable, and she has listened and learned, and done everything that they ask. And she's become quite a persona, uh, not only at WC or WWE, but uh, FGW and everything else. So we're not trying to be something we're not. 
Yeah, that's that's I, that's what I love about the Five Most Wanted. You're 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 real. It's like you said, no gimmick. And being in the Five Most Wanted, and for yourself, your story getting into professional wrestling that started out in the late '90s there because you trained with Les Thatcher, the same person that tra- uh, trained Cody Hawk, and then Cody Hawk went on the train. So many there. When when you first met. Les Thatcher. How how was that, and how was it getting into wrestling for the um, first time there? It was weird because what happened was I was brought in by a guy here in Cincinnati who was a local promoter of a show. We had, there's a venue here called Annie's. It's a live music venue, and I was working security for the club. And when he met me, uh, the very first night he met me, I busted up a fight. Some guy was going after him, and I busted up a fight, put a guy out, and he was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" You know. So I started working there. They were like, "We need somebody like this," and. Uh, uh, he he got this idea. He had been very well versed in the professional wrestling business and the promoter business, and I think he saw not only some potential, but I think he saw dollar signs as a manager or an agent. And uh, he got me involved, took me to the training facility where less than everybody was training. Immediately, I felt this this urge to want to do it. You know, I was like, okay. Um, unfortunately, at that time, I was doing things I didn't understand psychology wrestling uh-huh. and storytelling and the the psychology of a persona and a gimmick. So I was six foot eight, three hundred pounds, doing hurricane radas, doing moon salts, doing um, super superplexes off the top rope with Cody. Cody was the only one that I let do it. Uh, and you know, people like Chris Jericho and. Uh, Chris Benoit, God rest his soul, and Dean Malenko, and people would come in and they would train because Les was a legit, a, a, an actual legitimate training facility. Right. And at that time, they were like, "What are you doing?" They're like, "You're six foot eight. You should never leave your feet." Uh-huh. You know. So um, I continued to do this dumb stuff, and uh, inevitably, I got my neck broken. And oh. what I what I did it was it wasn't major. Cody's was a major break. Mine was more of a compression fracture. Okay. Uh, did a little bit of nerve damage, but nothing that would ever paralyze me or anything. And uh, it took about six to eight weeks to fully recover. Uh, I'm sorry, six to eight months. Six to eight months to fully recover. Okay. When I did, when I did come back, I was gun shy. I never. I, I didn't want to get in the ring. I didn't want to do anything. I was scared. And. Uh, Luckily, knock on wood, um, music came about, and I wound up working in the music business. I went, I went to Cody, I went to Sean, I went to Jackson Breeze, all of which are still obviously involved with the FGW. I never went to Les. I went to everybody, all of my peers. Right. And I said, look, this is an opportunity. What should I do? And I think it was Jackson Breeze and Cody that said, look, wrestling will always be here. Always, you can always come back to it, but you only get this kind of an opportunity once in a lifetime. So if you don't take it, we're going to beat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I took it, made a full a full career out of it, and twenty something years later, I came back and with welcome arms or open arms, they welcomed me back and said, "Okay, are you ready to choke slam and power bomb some people through tables?" And there it was. Yeah, it came <laughs> back immediately. That's am- that's amazing. There, that's amazing. During during that time, you were gone when when you had that opportunity there like you mentioned with the music business there you you were able to actually go across the country and like you mentioned at the opening of the program here you've got to work with a lot of bands 
that, Absolutely. that lot, lot of well-known bands, Rat, Poison, you have a really good relationship there with Brett Michaels. You you pretty much handled personal security for these events, correct? Absolutely. Well, yeah. Not only the events, but I handled it for them individually. I, with Kid Rock, I was his personal assistant. I handled all of his wardrobe. I handled all of his jewelry. handled all of his day-to-day operations uh, as, as far as there, he had his own independent security guy. Uh, his name was Little Bear. And then there was myself who handled all of his wardrobe, all of his kind of personal effects. Right. And, uh, you know, making sure that everything was to par, and uh, which was great. With Brett, with Rat, with uh, Saliva, with all these other bands, I was strictly security. And uh, with a few of them, I became like the fifth Beatle, and uh, the, the rock and roll lifestyle took over. And uh, I had to reel myself back in in 2010, but that's that's life, you know. It could have been wrestling, it could have been music, it could have been anything. But I got to do, I got to live the rock star life without having to go on stage and perform. That's that's that is amazing, man. And you got to see you got to see these people, these talented musicians and artists. You actually got to see a different side of them, which the public and the cameras don't get to see and you kind of got to develop relationships with them off out of the public eye which is i think is great man because you built a good really good relationship with these people yeah it's uh it's it's really weird because never and if you would have talked to me 40 years ago 30 years ago and said hey you're going to be working with some of the world's greatest entertainers and you're going to be the right hand man and they're going to become some of your best friends in life I would have smacked the hell out of you, but you know, I would have been like, what are you talking about? But sure enough, it happened. And I'm one of those people that, um, I guess for lack of better terms, the way to say it is when something happens, I try to make the best of it and excel in it. Yeah. And I do. And, and I'm, I'm a handshaker. I go out and meet everyone. I don't care if they've got a bad reputation or not. I go out and shake their hand. Hey, I'm John. It's a pleasure to meet you. If we're going to be working together for the next six months or a year, whether it's a co-headlining tour or whether it's just at a festival, and there's multiple acts, I go out and meet people, shake their hand. Hey, how you doing? It's a pleasure to meet you. Because you never know who you're going to meet in this business. It's going to be, your, one, your next boss, or two, your next influence. Right. Same as wrestling. Same as wrestling. I mean, when we're in, res- when, um, when we're in wrestling in the, in the dressing rooms and the locker rooms, you know, I go around. What I don't care if they've been in the WWE 20 years or if they if they're just brand new last week. Shake their hand. Hey, how you doing? You know, I'm John. It's a pleasure. But a lot of them know me from the TV show, or now they know me from wrestling with Sean and Cody and Shauna and David. But it's uh, the best way that I can say it is: you never know who you're meeting, and you never know how they're going to impact your life. So. Yeah, that's I, I definitely I definitely agree with you right there because you never know. A few years a few years ago, Jimmy Hart, he opened up a place here in Daytona Beach. And me and my friends, we went over there and we first met Jimmy. So we met him and talked with him there. And then we started going coming back to him and just talking with him and he got to know us over time there and the relationship ended up being where he got to know me and my wife at the time when my wife wife was pregnant with uh, my daughter our daughter he would go we'd go in there and watch pay-per-views watch wrestling and he would he would always ask how she's doing ask how i'm doing and even after my daughter was born 
he would, I'd come in there. It's like, hey, Jimmy. He'd come over. We'd shake hands. And he's like, hey, baby, how you doing? How's that little girl yours doing? I said, <laughs> big. And I developed, that, yeah, I developed that relationship with him, which I thought was, which was really great there. And he yeah. was, he was here in Daytona for about two, three years. And I, I got to know him and sit next to him watching a wrestling and him talking about things and pointing things out that I wouldn't have known. And just, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was it that's, was amazing. That's what I mean about the psychology of wrestling. And you know, when you're new or you think just when you think you know what's going on, the script gets flipped, and you don't know a damn thing. You don't know anything. And uh, I was lucky enough throughout my music career to meet some very very. It's weird because I started training with Les and Cody and everyone in the mid '90s. Uh, hurt my neck, got out of wrestling, thinking, okay, I'm going to make a career out of music and I'm not going to have to deal with wrestling anymore. Then I started hanging out with wrestlers by going in the back door. Um, I didn't have to go in the ring. I started hanging out with them because of the music. So I got to meet some wonderful people uh, and get to know them very well. Randy Savage, uh, Bubba Ray Dudley, uh, Edge. Um, some, some of the biggest names in wrestling became some friends of mine. And... Uh, you know, wrestling was all Magnum TA. He was a great inspiration to me because um, we became really good friends and he knew how bad I wanted to wrestle him. So last year when we were doing Heroes and Legends, ironically, Magnum was there. So I got to come to him, not as an equal or a pair, but in his world. And we got to experience that together. I love, I love Terry to death. I would do anything for him. And uh, I know he would me. And it was just very cool to have him come to a music show, and he's in my world, and now I'm sharing his world. You know, never, never on his level, but always in the same building. That's a, that's amazing, man. Magnum Magnum TA, man. He he talk about a career there, man. Wow, that that, that close. That yeah. close. He yeah. was uh, he, he's about ready to take over the world, and unfortunately, stuff happened. Life happened, and. Uh, He's still an amazing person. I love him to death, and I, you know, he's still a big part of wrestling. And I think some, if people go back and watch some of his matches uh, with with various people, they could learn so much because he had it. Every he had the psychology, he had the character, he had everything. And there's another guy that his gimmick was who he was. That was that was the reality of who he was. And you know, he never tried to change anything. And I think that's why Tessa is so successful because she's not trying to be anything that she's not. Um, and Terry's in her corner and I'm sure that he's teaching her a lot of the psychology. Yeah. Yeah. That's that right there. That's, that's, that's a good example right there, John. Tessa, she, she has the best of both worlds there because of Magnum TA and her dad. I mean, she, yeah. I mean, Look! Look at look at her career, man. I mean, she's she's had a hell of a career there, especially exactly. Impact, man. It's it's amazing what she what she's already accomplished and at I, her age. When I saw her take the belt, um, it was it was kind of surreal because I, I, like I told you, I've known Terry uh, for quite a long time, Magnum, for quite a long time, and I saw Tessa as a little girl. You know what I mean? And when I look at TV and I come back into the wrestling world and, and people are telling me, oh, Tessa Blanchard, Tessa Blanchard, I'm like, there's no way. And she's on top of the world. And I was loving it. I was like, hell yes. I'm such a, I hate to say that I'm a Mark to Hurst, but I am. I mean, I, the fact that I know her doesn't make me any less of a Mark. Right. 
I mean, Grant, it's not like we would sit and, and talk. We're not best friends or anything like that. But I saw her when she was growing up a couple of times, and it was really, really cool to see her excel and follow in her father and, and, and Magnum's footsteps. So it was really cool to see her be a part of this business. Yeah, that's that's amazing right there. I loved it when she was in the Mae Young Classic because yes. she did so well. And I, I said to myself, I said, WWE... They're they're kicking themselves in the butt for not signing her because look 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 what the heck she's done, man. Well, the problem is, is I think WWE. I'm not going to say they're on their way out, but their their uh, their business portfolio is not what it used to be. I don't know what happened. I I, I really have no idea. But when and thank God for places like AEW. Yes, and all these other things to give you a a uh, an option, if you will, yes. to watch other, you know, whether it's um, TNA, which is a, a platform to go to the WWE or NXT or whatever. There is some really good talent there that they're passing up and letting get away to go to AEW and stuff like that. And I just don't know what they're. I mean, the only way that I think the WWE is ever going to be back on top or not equal with the others is if they go back to the war days you know what i mean the the, the that was the best time for the wwe was the uh sunday shotgun sundays and monday night raw and war and every it was like the new generate you know the uh the dx era and yeah. all that nothing could take its place attitude era man attitude era i was a teenager <laughs> yeah that's it that's it the attitude era yeah, I was I was a teenager during those days. Late 90s, I was a senior in high school, and I graduated around 98, and I started seeing the beginning of the Attitude Era. I started, there was a long time where I didn't watch wrestling from, I think, 90 till about 97. Seven years, I didn't watch wrestling. Here and there, I kept up with it from friends saying, hey, this happened, that happened. When I jumped back into it, I see all this new stuff, and I'm saying to myself, I was like, I see this guy come out named Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm like, who is this guy? And my, my dad, old Tennessee redneck, he loved him because he's like, hell yeah, he raises hell and drink beer, and he's like, any guy that does that, that's that's a guy I love. Absolutely. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the problem is, is, I think, just like in any other business that's successful, everybody dips their hand in the in the pocket or the or the well. And they all have a say in something. I mean, if, if you watch Raw now, it's become an infomercial for something else. I mean, every two minutes, it's a commercial for Subway or GoDaddy or whatever. I'm like, everybody has dipped their hand in there so much because they've gotten so much corporate sponsorship that they don't even have a say in their own business anymore. And other people are controlling the, the content. And it's like, you know, yeah, they got a little bit raw and risque and everything, but that's what was selling. And when they were on top, they stopped. And I, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't. So, oh, on the other hand, I'm not getting paid to understand it. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Last night I was sitting there watching AEW. I was sitting right here on my computer. I got dual monitors. One monitor here, I was watching AEW, and the other one I was sitting there watching NXT. I'm just going yep. back and forth, just watching it. I felt like the Monday Night Wars, man, back growing up. Yes. It, it, was, it was great. You know, the funny thing is, is there's nothing that goes back to 
I don't think will ever come. Although I did see um, something that uh, Coronet and everybody's part of or was uh, the power. Um, oh God, what was it? Uh, NWA and NW. Yeah, NWA Power. Yes. Power. Yes. That almost reminded me of going back to the Georgia Championship, Gordon Sully days. Uh, yeah. I was like, there's no intro music. You just show up. You can hear the crowd or in the bleachers. That was exciting to me. So I, I don't know why that hasn't taken off even more. But uh, it's, it's, it's those days that are missing. And with independent wrestling today, as successful as it is, and as big as it is, I mean, independent wrestling's got quite a hell of a following. You know what yeah. I mean? It's it's become more successful today than it's ever been. And I think uh, this younger generation, I think they have the power to put put it back on a platform of the Attitude Era and everything in the future. But uh, I think a few people at the top level have to be a little bit more giving as well and say, hey, you know what? What are you, not what are your ideas because the the problem is is just like any other business experience creates cockiness and egotism right and everybody everybody at the top thinks they know what works what they don't know is what's happening in the real world what's what we think would work i mm -hmm. say we because i'm on the independent level but i know what's working on the independent level and i think if they took it up a notch the uh some like aew did yeah you know um aew has done phenomenal and uh I wish them all the, all the success in the world because they're not trying to be so big that they can't control it anymore. They're just doing what they do and they're letting letting the people decide. Yeah, they're 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 ha they're having fun, and yeah. I'm I'm more familiar with a lot of that talent, and some of the talent I wasn't yeah. really familiar with until I seen them on AEW, and when I seen this talent that I was familiar with on the independent uh, wrestling scene. I'm like, wow, they got this guy. That's amazing. And you got this guy. And I'm excited that Brian Cage is now over there. Man, damn. I love it. I, love it. Ah, I absolutely man. love that. I do too, man. I was hoping you would say that because yes. he's, he's going to do phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. And Taz as his mouthpiece. I know. Oh, I know. It's, it's, really, it's really cool. You know what would be awesome? See Taz actually get physically involved and put the Taz mission on someone. I think it'll happen. It'll it will. I, I don't think Taz is done yet. I, I really no. don't. Um, you, know, uh, the, you know, people have always said that, you know, in the independent scene, and when you're training, it's like, oh, I want to be on Raw. I want to be on Raw. You know, everybody wants that brass ring. Yeah. Um, honestly, my... Let's be realistic. At our age, I don't think there's any million-dollar contracts coming down the pipeline. Or right. the pipe. But I would still like to be on a roster as a house guy or whatever with AEW. And I've known I've known Chris Jericho through Poison for quite a while. I know Sean's worked with him. I think we still got a few good years in us. And I think we, you know, myself, Sean, Cody, and definitely Shauna. I think we could uh, put some asses in seats. And I think we have the. Uh, the experience, me with music, Sean with his entertainment career, Cody with everything that he's done, Shauna with her WWE experience and what she's been doing. I think we could one, put some asses in the seats out of the independent level that haven't been there yet. And two, we, we have a gimmick that is going to last at least a couple of years. I mean, I, I like to I like to tell people, they're like, what's the five most wanted? I said, we're modern day DX. People love to hate us. 
Yeah. You are the most dangerous group in professional wrestling because there's, I said, when one falls, there's four more behind them. Exactly. Know? Exactly. Couldn't couldn't agree anymore with you right there. Here, here, picture, since you said AEW, let me throw a picture in your head. Five most wanted versus the inner circle. I love it. I love it. <laughs> let's make it happen. Let's, let's make it happen. Oh, I God. Think, uh, yeah. I, I think some people would be very happy with that. I can see you squaring off against uh, uh, Jake Hager. I can do that without a doubt. You know, it, it's, uh, there's a lot of things that, you know, the weird, the problem is, is on the independent level, we have the power to control our gimmicks and who we are. You know, one week we're this guy, one week we're that guy, one week whatever, and we're looking for that one thing that works. With the five most wanted, we already have something that works, and if they would give us the power to just come in and, and, and be the five most wanted and not try to change our gimmick, I think I think they'd be very happy, even if it's for a year or two years. You know, I'm not looking to get rich. I make my money in music. Yeah, yeah. It it's like not not to throw WWE back into it. Like for example, AJ Styles. Yeah. AJ wrestled all over the world, and he wanted to end his the rest of his career there, work his, have the rest of his career there in in WWE, right. and where he could at least say, "Hey, I did a WrestleMania, and I did WWE." And five most wanted going to AEW like a company like that, that would that'd be great because like you said, if you do a year, a couple years, you know, it's like, hey, I did AEW. Exactly. Know? Just and to be legit, anybody can go out there and say, Oh, I'm a professional I'll give you a story. Um, a guy named about twenty, you know, mid nineties, um, I was young and drinking and partying and having fun and training and uh I would go out to clubs and I would tell everybody, oh, they're like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a professional wrestler. Well, there was a there was a guy who was an experienced wrestler at the time, the only man in my life that legitimately scared the hell out of me. His name is Bull Payne. And Bull, we were wrestling up in Lima, Ohio. He was riding in my van. And uh, we were going back to Cincinnati. Or actually, I take that back. We were, no, we were going back at this time. And uh, I said, you know, I'm ready. I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do this. He goes, pull the van over. And I was like, what? He goes, stop the damn van now. He goes, if I hear you bitching saying you're a professional wrestler one more time, he goes, call a match right now. And I was like, uh, 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 I couldn't. And he goes, shut your mouth, learn, and when you're ready, I'll tell you. And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, like I said, on the independent level, everybody thinks they know what works. Everybody, oh, this will work, and this will work, and this will work. Well, Five Most Wanted has been successful for 15, 14 years. Um, from from the from the inception of it to now, it's not broken up. No matter where you go, there's always someone from the Five Most Wanted, and they say that they're Five Most Wanted. So, I, I think you know, you give us two, one, two, three years, probably what's left of our career, to go out there, show people what we got, and give them every. You know, everybody wants to end their career on a high note. Yes. Everybody to, um, you know, you, you want to play your last football game or you want to play whether it's the first game, middle season or the last, like every game has to be played like it's your last game. And if we got a chance to go to like an AEW or something like that, I guarantee you for one, two, three years, we would give every match like it was our last match and we would make the people or give the people what they want. And I think the company would benefit from it. But 
we'll see if it's in the cards. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things you hope for, but you, I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket. Exactly. I love that. I love that. That's that's that would be awesome. That would. I don't want to. I don't want to mark out and say like, oh my god. You know, I probably would if I was sitting there watching TV. I, I, I mean, Sean. Sean has been in, in, in the uh, 10, 20, 30,000 seat arenas. Cody has. Shauna has now. Um, I have been in front of 50, 60, 70,000 people with Poison and Rat and all these other bands. So every one of us um, are not new to walking through that curtain. You know, every night I'd come out and I'd introduce Poison and do the intro. And I'd look, there were times when I first started that I'd look out and I'd see 30,000 people. And I'm like, you couldn't get a penny up my ass with a jackhammer. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that's a lot of people. God. But, uh, you know, we've already got that past us, so I think, you know, we've, we've got a little bit more of an advantage than other people. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing, seeing like, every night, traveling traveling up with these bands, especially, like, Poison, right. going to the town-to-town and seeing these large crowds, man, it, it's it's amazing, ain't it? it? And even today, after all these years... People still love poison. It, yeah. Do you think it's also gotten to the point where parents grew up listening to poison and they brought their kids and experience oh, with, to it? Without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, we're we're into the fourth generation of poison fans, and when you're coming up on forty, almost thirty-five years, um, yeah, about thirty-five years of poison existing, and. Uh, we still look out in the crowd and we see kids that are 13, 14, 15, into their mid-20s. They continue to pass the music along. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, there, there's bands out there that last one year, one album, two albums maybe. Motley, Poison, Def Leppard, Joan Jett, we were just getting ready to go out and do the stadium tour where 38 stadiums were sold out. Over 2 million tickets were sold. And I think the reason behind that is because when people come there, it's the it's the lights, it's the show, it's the pyro, it's everything combined. It's an event. It's not just sitting there going, "Oh, wow, here's another show," you know. And Brett runs out on that on that scaffold, that thrust, and he's shaking hands and smacking hands and bringing people up on stage. And Motley does the you know Tommy does the the drum kits, and I, I think when people come to those shows, it's like going to see. You know the circus never gets old. Yeah, I don't care whether you're 12 or 90. You still you still get a kick out of going to the circus. <clears throat> when you go to a Poison, Motley, Def Leppard, Joan Jett, all these shows like we were getting ready to put on, um, people know what they're getting, and it's still real music. It's not um, it's not samples. It's not dat tapes. It's not Memorex. It's still real music, and you know that because when a guitar is out of tune and they stop the show and say, "Hold on, we got to fix this." You know, you know, people want real live entertainment, and they want they want those those Freudian slips to happen because they know it's real. Anybody can. I could, if I use this, um, what's this vocal tuner stuff, um, whatever the hell it's called, they could make me sound like Pavarotti. Yeah. And I can't. I, the only te- the only place I sing and I sound good is in the bathroom, in the shower. Because <laughs> I'm singing to myself, but. But there's programs out there now that could make me sound like the the world's greatest singer, and in real life, I'm horrible. Yeah. Know, so, 
Yeah, that's yeah. They they have made me look pretty. It, it it's amazing with the technology and everything you have out there, and like you said, live shows anything happens, man, because it, it it just happens. But you know what? Everyone's having a good time. They're enjoying the music, and it can be easily you know fixed right there if someone breaks a string. I'm I'm sure you have you ever had to like run out an extra guitar like if they change a the guitar or something. I you know, have luckily because I'm not a guitar tech, so. Uh-huh. There, there's guitar techs, there's drum techs, there's there's people that specialize in that. Yeah. Now, I have, in fact, because I've been around Poison's music so long, there are times that when Brett will play or CeCe will play or, you know, even on Brett's solo band, if something happens, I'll hear it immediately. Yeah. Like, I, I know the sound of something that's gone wrong, but I don't fix it unless it's unless it's a last, you know, the last resort. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that would be something right there. I mean just uh, i've i've seen like concerts watch concerts and stuff and like on youtube and dvds and stuff and where the guitar breaks and then all of a sudden the guitar tech runs out grabs another guitar gives it to him like actually it was years ago i was watching it was in the mid 90s foo fighters david grohl when they first started out they played this concert thing back on mtv back when they used to play music videos (laughs) (laughs) and they were doing a show, and I think it was Pat Smear or Dave Grohl broke their string on the guitar, and the guitar tech ran out with another guitar. And at the last part of the concert, they broke the string again. They just kept playing. They're like, fuck it. This is the end of the exactly. concert. Exactly. <laughs> you know, those, those things happen, and you know, luckily, um, with Poison and Kid Rock and everyone else that I've worked with, the guitar techs and the drum techs have been absolutely amazing. I mean, the, there's... Uh, there, there's a there's a knack when they take that job, and you really have to be able to improvise and think and impulsively and get it done. Yeah. And uh, I think when it came to something like that, as far as equipment or gear, it would take a lot of a lot of training for me to be able to do that. I don't I don't have the patience to sit there and say, oh well, what's wrong? I like to fix the problem now. And that's I think that's why I'm good with the personal security and stuff because if somebody gets up on stage, um, I can get them off stage quick without hurting them and without really going hands on I, you know there's a whole personality that I use when I'm on stage and um, so the best way to say it is sometimes honey attracts more bees than vinegar so <laughs> that's that that's amazing I, w- I would say right there with with you being security ain't ain't that a, don't I get a little bit stressful there because you got so many people right there and you you basically have to don't you have to have your like be aware of everything that's going on around you because like like you said at some moment some crazy fan could get up get where they're not supposed to be and you're you got to be until, like right on them until a few years ago it, like it doesn't get crazy or i mean it, it doesn't get it doesn't affect me uh-huh. the way that you would think um and a lot of that comes from being around the band for so long uh, the, the band's fans and the fans of Poison and Kid Rock and stuff, we can go into any city and I can tell you what city, I couldn't tell you for, through memory, I could tell you by looking at the crowd what city we were in because a lot of the fans up front are loyal, diehard fans and I can look and say, oh there's Sherry or there's Joe or whoever like, oh yeah, we're in Cleveland or we're in New York or Baltimore or whatever, you know um, and 
I've been around long enough to where I, I never, unless things get really chaotic, I never tell people, get out of the way, do this, do that. I always ask them, hey guys, can I get you to do this? Can I get you to do that? There's a, there's a certain finesse in getting 100 people to move to the right and 100 people to move to the left and create this aisle. You know, there's too many people out there that think doing security and being a personal assistant work. You know, they think, oh, I can do that because I can fight. I'm like, well, you're already fired because I don't want to, I don't want to thug. I want a diplomat, you know? So I, I, I don't, I'm not going to say I don't get, get nervous. I, I'm very aware. And I think this came from the Marine Corps. I'm very aware of my surroundings. I'm very aware of what's going on. But after a good friend of mine and Brett's and many other people, Dimebag Daryl, when, when that happened to him and he was killed, I became very alert for quite some time. And I was like, okay, things are going weird here. This has never happened before. And uh, I, I, I did get a little bit apprehensive about letting people get near the stage for a while because that just kind of hit me differently. Because as a security brat, you can talk to anybody who works as security in the music business or the movie business or whatever. That affected a lot of people, not only because Daryl was a great guy and he got killed, but you start thinking, okay, if if I was at that show and that was my job and I worked for that band, how would I have handled it? And you want to say you're going to save the day, but in reality, you probably would have done the exact same thing. You know, yeah. you, either, you either freeze or you, you go into action. Um, and I don't think anybody was ever prepared for something like that, ever. Yeah, that, that right there, damn. I, I discovered a Pantera in my high high school when I was a senior in high school I kind of got out and listened to alternative music and I met a friend of mine named Todd he said you want to hear some music he's like listen to this and I was like what he handed me a cassette Slayer I'm like what the hell Slayer I put it in first song Angel of Death I was like dude I love this and as time went on he's like He's like, I, I've, I heard of Pantera, but I never really did listen to him. And then sure. he gave me Far Beyond Driven. He's like, here, bar this. And I was like, Far Beyond Driven. I'm looking at album cover with the drill on the skull. I'm like, what, yep. the, what the hell is this? And I loved it, man. I, I got I got hooked on Pantera there, and I, I became a really good fan. I even went back to like Cowboys from Hell. And at one time, I think I was trying to chase down the stuff they did back in the early <laughs> yeah. days. Because yeah. some some magazine. So I think you, you do know that they started as a glam band, right? Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Because someone put a, pulled up an argue, article, and I'm looking at I'm like, Dimebag? Vinny? Yep. What the hell? I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was cool because I'm like, you know what, man? You got to start out somewhere. You got to start out somewhere, yeah. you know. And their their music. I mean, I love Cemetery Gates. I love Phil Amonzo's vocal range on Cemetery Gates. I love that. But Dimebag Dimebag's guitar playing, man, it was it was some it was some crazy shit. But it was it was awesome just how he played. He created that own style because he. No, I'll tell you what's really weird is I didn't know how many guitar players he influenced until he passed away, and guitar players were saying, you know, I learned, I got my inspiration from Dime, I got this, I got that from Dime, and I do this because Dime did it, and I'm thinking, 
And then when they started playing and I started listening to the music again, I'm like, holy shit, it's been right there the whole time. That's why I like them so much. You know, there, there were just little things here and there, little ticks. Yeah, that 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 that's a cool thing about them. Yeah, they they inspired a lot of people there. I had a, I had a really good friend of mine at one point. He he ended up getting the same exact model of Washburn and yep. the pickups and everything guitar that uh, Dime had. And oh my God, he hooked it up through his system there. He cranked it. It was almost like Marty McFly getting across, thrown across the room Back to the Future. It sounded so good, man. <laughs> it did. I think we about blew yeah. the speakers. One lick on that one one note. It was like just it blew you in the back of the room. It, it just Absolutely. sounded so good, man. And there, when they when when Pantera broke up, and then when Vinny and uh, Vinny and Dime went off to do Damage Plan. I love that album. I still have that album. I love that album. And then when Phil did Down, I love Down. Yep. I I got their I got three other albums there, but yeah, that yeah, that just that hit me. I was like, "Damn, man!" Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite an impact because you know, working in the music business, you become very blessed and lucky. You meet a lot of people, and you expect them to always be there. And you know, I met some really, really good people. You know, Jamie Lane and Warren, and um, some of some of my greatest friends have been in the music business, whether it be crew. Or touring personnel, or artists or musicians themselves, and some of them have passed away. Some of them have, you know, moved on, and it, it's just. It, but that hit me extra hard. I yeah. was like, "Wait a minute! This is this was not supposed to be. This was too much." Right, right, and like you mentioned, warrant my my cousin. It was around that time when I was a senior in high school. I never really listened to the '80s hard rock. Like right. Poison, Warrant, Rat, um, Quiet Right. I never really listened to them. And right. then my, my cousin said, said this is stuff when uh, when I was in the late 80s, early 90s, when he was um, when he was growing up about that time. He, he said, this is the music I listened to. So he exposed it to me. And I, I got into listening to, to Poison there, um, Talk Dirty to Me. I <laughs> love that man. Just the guitar yeah. riffs, CC's oh, yeah. guitar on that, and Dawkin, um, Queens Right, um, Warrant, yes. and um, what's a what's another one there? There's there's so many. LA Guns, LA Guns are you know they were really good friends of mine. Guns and Roses. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean that whole era and generation of music was it was I mean Sunset Strip was pushing so much music at the time that. I mean, whatever you wanted, it was there, and and it was it was everything from you know Guns and Roses to freaking Warrant, you know A through Z, and it was amazing. And every one of those bands were successful in their own right, and some of them have outlasted the other, but their their impact and their their story will never go away. Exactly, exactly, because their their story there. There's now. Netflix came out with that movie based off of Motley Crue's book, The Dirt. I can't watch it. <laughs> I, I well, there when it when it comes to Vince Neil, when it comes to his his daughter, because oh yeah, Skylar, yeah, because back in January first of twenty sixteen, my me and my wife we lost her son. 
and yep. she lost her mom, my mother-in-law, on the same day. We we lost her son, and we lost lost uh, her, her mom and my mother-in-law. And I and I had people, friends that I know, say, "Hey, did you see it?" I said, "No. Why come you can't watch it?" I said, "I I just I can't get to that part." That's understood. That's understandable. I think a lot of people who don't know Vince and never knew. Um, the true, true Motley Crue story. Um, you know, a lot of people like to criticize Vince about Razzle and how he died in a car wreck and all this other stuff. What they fail to realize is that, and this movie portrays it, and you've experienced it firsthand, the loss of a child is devastating. And Vince went through hell and high water. I mean, it, it was a living hell for him. And uh, I've never discussed this with him. I, I, um, I don't see him enough, or I don't, you know, I know him, but uh, it's something that even if we were the best of friends, I don't think it's something that I would talk to him about unless he brought it to my attention. But this movie brings to light the fact that he went through a living hell, and there was never a reasoning or, you know, everybody, oh, why is Motley breaking up? It's what you don't see behind the scenes that affects a musician or, or any anybody in any in any career. You lose a child, and you know I have a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, who just lost her son. He was in his twenties, and uh, you know she, he was the light of her life, and she's just completely, completely devastated. And uh, I love her to death, and I love her family, but it's not one of those things you just jump into and talk about. You got to let nature take its course and let her heal before she talks about it. And honestly, I think Skyler's death and for. Uh, Vince and, and his wife was very devastating and I don't think they ever really got over it. I, you, how, how can one get over that? Right. You know, right. I don't think it ever go, the pain ever goes away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that I think that movie gave the rest of the world who don't, who don't know Vince the opportunity to see just a touch of what he went through, which you know firsthand. The psychological pain, the emotional pain, the physical pain, everything and how you deal with it and how you cope with that pain and I think that explained a little bit about what happened to Motley back then and why they're back today and why they're so successful still. Yeah, they they when in ninety seven there when they announced that they got Vince back in the band, yep. I I was excited about that. I'm like, that is that is great because I had a friend who had the who had the Motley cassette when they had their old, old the the replace the singer that replaced him i forgot who i forgot his name who he was john karabi he's one of my best friends okay john right and there that, that that movie made me so upset because they they kind of just very quickly went through john's era and to this day i still think that the album that they did with john was their best album ever oh i when i when i first heard the first track it's been years since I've listened to it because back at that time, my one of my friends, he was we were going on a car ride and he he threw and I saw Motley Crue. I'm like, oh cool, listen to Motley. And he's like, this ain't the Motley Crue you know. And he put it in and then I was like, who the hell's that singing? And then he was telling me, I'm like, man, I was like, that does sound awesome. But didn't John and one of an ex guitarist from Kiss got together at one point, created a band called Union? Yes, they did. Yeah, that, I thought that was pretty cool how they got together and it was like, hey, let's form a band and boom. It was really good, but 
I've known John for God years, and uh, I'm not just saying it because he's my friend. He, he's more like a brother. I love him to death. Um, I've known him for quite some time, and I still to this day say that the album that he sang on was and still is their best album. And it, it made me very uh, defensive <laughs> and uptight because I I love John, and I know the impact that he had on that band. And they just kind of, you know, all they show is him walking through the curtain and people holding signs saying, bring Vince back. And I'm like, what an asshole. <laughs> 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 that would John's that, phenomenal. Yeah, that 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 would I I could not imagine how hard that would be because I know I know that movie that Mark Wahlberg did uh, years ago, Rockstar, when yep. he he replaced the singer and they kind of like showed some stuff where you know like they didn't want didn't accept him, the fans didn't and stuff. I could not imagine that you're going out there to perform in front of all these people and they're throwing that in your face. There, I couldn't imagine that for him, well, man. John, John's a con. I mean, he is a consummate pro. I guarantee you, it didn't bother him. Yeah. He looked at it as a blessing. He looked at it as, you know, this may or may not last forever, but John's mind is always working, and I guarantee you, he was he was a pro about it. Yeah, he. It's it's been forever since I heard that album there, but uh, I know like the first track when I heard the guitars and stuff, and just him singing. I'm like, dude, this, this. <laughs> It's Motley Crue playing, but that's not Vince singing. But this sounds pretty badass, man. And yeah, it's it's different. It, it's almost like Red Hot Chili Peppers when they got Dave Navarro. They became more of a more of a rock album, but that's Dave's playing because of Jane's addiction, man. You know? Yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave Navarro, man. He he was pretty he was pretty cool. I mean, I liked. Back during that time, back in the late 90s, me and my cousin and her boyfriend, we tried, we formed a little punk band, and yep. we didn't make it that far. We only, we didn't get out of the garage. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that. You were doing what you know. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? we were 18. There's some bands out there that never make it out of the garage or a warehouse or whatever, yeah. but they, but the, the greatest thing is, is they did what they love, and they went for it and they had a good time doing it. That doesn't that doesn't make you any less or more of a person. You know what I mean? Yeah, we we were all you know we were at that you know 18, 18, 17, 18 years old. It's like yeah, we're gonna go on tour. We're gonna we're gonna see places we've <laughs> never seen. Everybody does that. Yeah, and then I would all sit the, in my house. I would sit in my house as a teenager, and uh, <coughs> before my teens, and I'd listen to Kiss and I'd listen to. All these records and records. Jesus, now I'm showing how old I really am. And uh, I'd sit there and think, that's going to be me one day. And I'd take a flashlight and put it up in the corner. And it would be my spotlight. And I'm like, this is cool. I'm a fucking rock star. Blah, blah. And, and if you would have told me back then that I'd be working for some of those same rock stars, I would have been kicking you in the ass. But life has the only way of working out. I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna tell you my first musical influences and then I'll, I'll ask you the same thing but um, five years old Sesame Street MTV because an older brother okay my older brother at the time 84 85 I got exposed to watching David Lee Roth jumping on stage jump 
I got on the couch and I thought I could do the same thing until my mom whipped me when I come came down because exactly. like you're tearing up the couch. Then Billy Billy Idol dancing with myself. I wanted to spike my hair like Billy Idol, man. I wanted to do that stuff. And then I went to my brother's room one day when he was gone and I found a cassette tape. What is Beastie Boys? License to Ill. There you go. There you go. I was listening to Beastie Boys. I cranked his stereo. He was two houses over at his friend's house. He heard his stereo blasting. He came running back in, and I'm jumping up, up and down in his bed, singing "Fight for Your Right." <laughs> he kicked me out. He'd take off. I go back in there and listen to it again. Listen to everything, you know, off that cassette there, man. <laughs> what was some of what was some of your what was some of your favorite or early music band, influence? I think the first band that I ever got really dialed in with and really liked was Kiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, 76, 77 era. Um, and then from there it went on to, you know, Kiss. Um, I remember listening to like Billy Squire and Joan Jett and stuff like that. But um, I guess 78, 79 is when they started. I loved Duran Duran. Loved them. Still love them. Um, it was one of my favorite bands ever. But then after that comes Run DMC, Fat Boys, uh, Beastie Boys, Cool Mo D. I was, I, I went out to Hollywood thinking I was going to be a breakdancer. Me. That <laughs> uh, tells the story on that on the show that we did, Rock of Love. I, I wanted to be I was I wanted to be a breakdancer and I wanted to be a DJ. And as a matter of fact, in high school, myself and I called him my brother Scott Lomboy. We would DJ parties, and this is before karaoke and anything. We'd be up there with mics, and I'd be doing the Beastie Boys and Run DMC and LL Cool J, and we'd be singing it. While he was really scratching, and and he was, you know, we had spotlights, we had light shows. This is in high school, in, in like the eighties, and um, uh, from then, I I don't know what happened. I think ninety one ish was it? I don't I don't remember. Ninety ninety one, I heard NWA because I was stationed out in California, and it was like eighty nine. I, I was spent a lot of time in California, ninety one and ninety two. Right. So I was stationed. In go up on the weekends and that's when I started to get into the, the rock scene because I'd see all these I saw Sunset Strip and I went to Gazzari's and I got to experience all that and I was like holy shit this is cool <laughs> and then you know it went from that to of course Rat and Iron Maiden and, and all those bands but I think my biggest influence in, in any kind of music was the, the, the Crush Grove era I mean it was Run DMC the Beastie Boys LL Cool J I had so much fun with that, and um, it, it was really cool because when I was working with Saliva, we got to go to Island Def Jam's headquarters in New York City. So I'm sitting there thinking, holy shit, this is where it all began. This is where these boys got signed. And, you know, they, they get in the elevator after they sign their contract, and it's LL Cool J in the damn elevator. And he's like, congratulations, fellas. And I'm going, oh, shit, this is cool. <laughs> so it, was, it was pretty cool. That's that's amazing, man. That that is Run DMC. I loved I loved Run DMC. Public Enemy, NWA. Yeah, when I I was I was I was twelve years old when I first NWA. Boys in the Hood had a friend of mine who had that, and he had the big boom box, and yeah. we'd ride. Oh, yeah. 
you'd ride up and down the street in the bike and he'd blast it and I'm like what is this stuff and we my said, phone I'll show you a picture hold on I gotta find my phone I'll okay. show you a picture nobody has seen these pictures so this is gonna be quite humorous what the hell did I put <laughs> hold on a second hell oh I don't know where in the hell it's at <laughs> you sound like me John John. Oh, Jesus, it's right in front of me. Okay. <laughs> you sound like me. I've done that before. I had my phone in my pocket, and I'm, I grab my wife's phone, and I'm like, I can't find my phone. And I dial it, and all of a sudden, I look down, and I'm ringing, and she's like, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I gotta, let me get to this. You talk about the big, the boom box and everything. I'm yeah. going to show you a couple pictures, like... Brett makes fun of me. He calls me the fifth quarter kid, and I'll tell you why. Because when I was <laughs> 12 and 13 years old, no, I was younger than that, like 10 to 12, 10 to 9 to, or 11 to 12, I wasn't allowed to play in the football game because I was too big in grade school. Yeah. So they had to have a fifth quarter, which was like everybody just playing kill the man, you know? And I said I said that I was going to uh, uh, sue whoever did Napoleon Dynamite because I swear to God, they stole my image. <laughs> I was I'll show you in a where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Hold on. Why why you're looking why you're looking for it there, I'll I'll just say Napoleon Napoleon Dynamite. I, I thought that movie was just crazy. I it was it it was it was fun. I liked Uncle Rico, man. He reminded me he he actually did remind you of that uncle that Oh it, that creepy Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, I think everybody's had that uncle. Mm-hmm. I... Yeah, my my favorite part is uh, Rex Rex Kwando. I think it was the Taekwondo. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, that that movie was some was something crazy. It was something crazy there, man. When when it came out at that time, it did. It is absolutely insane, and it was so genius. Um, it's it's funny that you mention it because Brett and I were just uh, we're just watching it a few weeks ago. Oh, here we go. Now you tell me that they didn't steal my image for Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, oh, Mikey, really? Yeah, twelve years old. Oh, no way. <laughs> and then I said, you know, the, the whole breakdancing days. Um, <laughs> this is this is what I was I was bound and determined to uh, go into breakdancing. And I said, maybe, if I can find her. Yeah, I thought I thought breakdancing when I first seen it when I was a kid, I thought it was like the amazing, one of the most amazing things I ever seen because I didn't know the human body could do stuff like that there. Oh, yeah, I know. The moving and stuff and everything. I was like, I tried it. You know, but it didn't work out too well for me. I, I was a big, I was a big oh, you know what I mean. I tried it, but I, I'm not. I never said I was good at it. I just said I tried it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would. I liked. I liked the movie White Chicks when uh, the Wayne's brothers were having that dance off with the two girls and they're doing pulling out the break dancing. I love that part in that movie. There. Oh yeah, here you go. Now see if you can pick out me in this picture. This is the break dance crew. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Are you in the back there with the hat? Without the hat, the big goofy. Yeah, I was behind the kid with that. The big goofy looking Napoleon Dynamite looking. Oh, okay. 
All right, yeah, I, I, I see you. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're walking around with that, and we got this on our shoulders. I'm like, no wonder we never got dates. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You look at the beatbox. Oh, yeah. There you go. The it's beatbox. Like, yeah, buy this shit. It's like, <laughs> all right. The, the first time... The first time I was exposed to ACDC, I was... Oh, great band. Yeah, yes. My favorite band to this day, my favorite uh, classic rock band. When I I was with my parents and we went to... We stopped in Georgia going up to Tennessee. And I was at my uncle's house there. We stayed the night there. Next morning, we got up and went to Tennessee. While we were there that day after we came in from uh, Daytona there. And we were sitting there and I was out on the front my uncle's front lawn there and I was with my cousin all of a sudden we seen this dude walking down the street with a boom box military <laughs> pants military combat boots oh, ACDC shirt cut off sunglasses hat backwards and oh my he hits play and the first song comes on was money talks and I'm like what Who is, is that? that? <laughs> exactly. And he just walking out of the road like nothing, man. And he sees us and he's all and oh, he just yeah. keeps walking and I'm like I was like I was like ten years old. I'm like, what did I just hear? What is that noise? You know? <laughs> but it was good, man. It was oh, yeah. It was oh. definitely good, man. One of one of my one of my favorite bands there. They they had so many great songs and stuff and uh I just uh I I thought it was pretty neat because I did hear the stuff that Axl Rose sang with them when he filled in, man. He sounded like Bon Scott, did he not? I don't know if you heard it. No, I never heard it. I've never heard it. No, really? Oh, I didn't. Um, and it wasn't by choice. It wasn't. I just, there was a time uh, in my life when I just completely um, disassociated myself with music. And it, it was really, that was probably, when was that? Like five years ago? six years ago I think so uh, yeah from 2010 to 2019 2018 I didn't really associate with music because I got married and uh, in 2010 I went through a very bad depression uh, I actually had a pistol in my mouth I was ready to uh, I had to quit drinking and everything because I let the uh, the uh, I, I let the celebrity status from that TV show and everything take control of me and I started drinking and started partying and started doing everything like I said there were you know I got to be the fifth Beatle in some bands and it just it never went away and uh, I had to learn the hard way that I was either gonna die or I was gonna quit drinking and quit smoking and quit partying and quit doing all that shit and learn to live again and that's what I did I disappeared went to Hawaii for a few years and didn't really connect with anyone Wow Wow I one one point in my life I was dating a girl and we were together for like two years Valentine's Day this is in 2007 Valentine's Day I think I'm going to pop the question to her I go and pop the question or about to she don't want to be with me no more she wants to break up she met another guy and she moved to Kentucky. I was living in Tennessee at the time. Right. It felt like someone took my heart and just 
ripped it out of me and i was i i've never i've never told anyone about this except except my wife that it it hurt me so bad even when i had a rebound girlfriend for about three months and that was hell after oh, yeah. the end of it was and then when i was alone again there there is there is nights where i've i've actually have never said anything on on my show or anything about this but I, there was nights where i would sit there on the couch and just kill a bottle of liquor and i had a knife with me and i'm like this just i I hit. I, I just wanted to just say, just fuck it, you know. Oh yeah, and yeah. I uh, I completely get it because if it wasn't for my ex-wife, it was it was the weirdest thing. It was May twenty eighth of two thousand ten. I stuck a pistol in my mouth and I said, okay. My dad had just died in two thousand nine, which sent me over the edge. And I would start the day with a fifth of Jack or Jim Beam. That's how I started the day because it kept me from shaking. So throughout the day, I would drink anywhere from one to two half gallons of Jim Beam. Not to mention all the beer that I would be drinking. And uh, it, 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 people, uh, my closest friends, John Karabi, some people in Nashville, I was living in Nashville, some of my closest friends were telling me, you, you need to take a look at yourself and figure this out. And it didn't really hit me until uh, Brett, right, right in 2009, I think it was, uh, 2009, beginning of 2010, uh, Brett and I spent, had picked him up on his, from his jet. He flew into going to Mississippi and I picked him up we had about a 45 minute ride and he uh, he told me he said look and it's actually it's in this it's in his book oh shit it's in his book I wrote a letter and uh, it was uh, sorry that just happened to be there I've been reading it um, he said look he goes you're always going to have a job in the music business I love you like a brother he goes but I'm not going to sit here and, let, and watch you die he goes you, you got to get the shit under control so you know, let me know when you get yourself reeled back in and we'll, uh, we'll do everything. Uh, didn't fire me, didn't do anything. It was just one of those wake up moments. Yeah. And uh, I quit drinking for the rest of that tour. Unfortunately, I can't say that it lasted. But once the tour was over, I went back to drinking again and I finally quit in two, the end of, end of 2010. So uh, it was just one of those things where it had taken control and I dug myself into such a hole that I didn't see any way out other than shooting myself. And I, I said, all right, Dad, I said, you got 24 hours to show me why I'm here or uh, I'm, I'm done, I'm coming. And uh, the next day I met my ex-wife now and uh, I was like, ah. <laughs> so so at, least, at least she served that purpose because our marriage wasn't worth the shit. But we, uh, we, uh, she served, you know, she saved me and a lot of good things came out of it that not with her, but because of her, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it you you don't you don't you, you usually you don't see you don't expect that and it sometimes it comes, it comes you sure didn't expect it. yeah yeah you don't expect it there I when go drinking and having a knife and wanting to just slice myself open sure. at that time there was I think it was MySpace yeah. so I I got on MySpace and I I looked at I looked at my ex. And her her boyfriend that was with her at the time, I forgot the post though, but in it, 
the detail what he talked about was was yeah he mentioned me but not directly sure and so I, I sat there and I read that and it is like basically he was saying it's like yeah I, I got a good woman um, too bad you know whoever had her last yeah, yeah. so I just slammed my hands down on the desk here and I was just like stark raving mad and then I'm like you know what that's it so I, I got up I got up got rid of the bottle hit the knives and I'm yep. like what am I going to do with myself and I was so mad and I had a yoga mat so I started I sit there started working out and then I got into working out I, I started listening to a lot of music to help me through that time yep. I remember um, listening to shoot just listening to about anything but um, uh, damn was it uh, as I lay dying that helped me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That helped me through it, man. I put them on earphones. I started. I went out, bought a weight bench, and I started lifting, and I started working out and stuff. And I started feeling really good of myself. I'd wake up in the morning. I say, you know what? I want to work out. So I'd go work out and do a workout routine. And Isn't it amazing? I'd, it's amazing how one bad thing happens and so many good comes. You know, it's if yeah. if if if, uh, if my ex-wife hadn't left me, I would probably not be back in music i would not be working for brett which i am now um i would not be um living life to the fullest i'll just put it that way because i suppress so much of who i am to try to make her happy that it took about a year but once once it finally wore off i it, it's funny because i read a comment somewhere it's like even the most beautiful woman in the world is someone else's headache and I'm like, <laughs> it hit me. I was like, yeah, I don't have that headache no more. You know, so it, it, it's, and you know, Sean has been a very, Sean Casey has been, was a very big help in, in uh, putting that era behind me. And uh, once it was gone, it was like, it was almost like, in, like a, I was free again. You know what I mean? So yeah, it, even in, even in your worst times, some good comes out of it. Right. That's this one thing. One thing. One thing I'm going to ask you, since you mentioned TV show Rock of Love, there. Now, before that was like pitched, and how that came about, you were friends with Brett at the time. Were you Were you around when the idea got pitched to him for Rock of Love? Was, and was, what was your take on that? Well, here's 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 how it went. Brett had been in negotiations with VH1 for quite some time on that show and some other ideas and uh, when it finally came down to the rubber meat in the road and they said okay we're going to do this um, he made it he stipulated I'm not doing this without John I want John to be part of this and uh, they were like well you know we can get somebody but he's like no because you don't understand the chemistry between John and I because I was his tour manager on his solo career and his uh, personal assistant and uh, we, we had really built a bond very close and uh, we worked great together and I got I loved every everything about what I was doing and uh, so he made it very clear to them that I no matter what he did I was going to be involved and uh, at first I was like okay this is going to be cool you know uh, maybe I'll get a little bit of uh, you know a little bit of celebrity out of it whatever 
Never in my damn life did I or Brett or anyone expect that this would be the number one show still today that VH1 has ever produced. I'm like, I mean, I can tell when they're starting to rerun it again or it's running on other, you know, Hulu or, or um, Netflix or any of these other things because um, people come up and they start looking still and they're like, are you? And I'm like, oh God, it must be on. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, we got a we got a standing joke in uh in Brett's camp that you know I, I tried to play this shy role for a long time. It's like, are you who me? Who me? You know, look at me. You know, is that me? Uh, but the, the the simple fact of the matter is, is I was proud to do it. I was happy to do it, and a lot of a lot of really cool things happened because of it. You know. Um, one of the bad things was the drinking and the partying and letting your ego come before your common sense. And when that happens, you, you got to step back for a while and say, hey, what's important? You know, and luckily I got through that and um, I'm sober today and I can still enjoy the success of the show and everything that, that Brett, uh, Brett created with VH1 and I got to be a part of it. And now I can really sit back and enjoy it without spending my life, you know, half in the bag. Yeah. That's that. That's amazing, Derek. I've I never really, honestly, I've never really sat down because I, when it came out at the time, I think like reality TV was really starting to kick up and stuff, and I I was really never a fan of the reality TV. But what's funny nowadays, I'll catch myself watch coming upon something that was big. Around around that time there, and I sit there and watch it. And I'm like, you know what? I was like, this is some crazy shit, but it's good. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it's it, once again, it's standing the test of time. You know, it's mm -hmm. uh, now there's a whole new generation out there that uh, they're in their teens and stuff, and they're like, oh my god, I saw you on Rock of Love. I'm like, what in the hell are you doing watching that show? <laughs> I'm glad they are. You know what I mean? Because it's kept it's kept Brett um, in the forefront of entertainment today which keeps me working, you know what I mean? And, and Brett's constantly going, 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 and so is Ricky. And I, I don't really know, I'm not going to say I don't know much about him, but I don't interact with Cece and Bobby as much as I do Brett and Ricky. But I know that those two are constantly brainstorming, working, getting things going. When they're when they're down and they're not torn, they're off to the next venture. And they, they do, they both are the same way. They do it to the best of their ability and they make it a success it's not like they just sit back and say i hope this works they do whatever it takes to make it work right so that's that's a, that's amazing right there I, I love that and i'm starting to get brett a little bit i'm trying to smart i'm starting to smarten him up a little bit to the wrestling world yeah yeah i was i was wanting to ask you that how the heck did you get brett michaels sit down to watch fgw how the heck uh, did you pull that off man because i'm part of it i mean that's that's our relationship you know Brett always told me, he said, then this was a couple of years, not a couple of years ago, but years ago, um, I wanted to get back into wrestling around 2009, 2008. I really had a good in to get back into wrestling and to make it work. And Brett, you know, Brett didn't want to lose me because we had we had built that, that camaraderie and it was working. But he also sat back and told me, hey, if that's what you want to do, I will support you fully. I will do whatever I have to do to make it successful for you. And he's always been supportive, you know? I mean, I, I, I can't think of anybody else that I've worked with in this music business that has been that supportive. Um, but when I took the time off, I started getting back into wrestling with Sean and Cody and everyone. 
and he knew it. I told him, I said, look, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, um, so when I, I've been out in Arizona working with him because we had the tour coming up and he had his solo, his uh, autoscrapography, his autobiography coming out. So we've been working a lot on that. And the, we, we were working on the tour until we found out that Live Nation had postponed it to 2021. Um, so we've been doing a lot. And uh, just one day I was like, hey, you know what? Here, this is what I was doing in wrestling. This is, watch me chokeslam this guy. And watch Sean. And he loves Sean. So it's like I was showing him some highlights, and then we sat down. And he started watching it, and then he, you know, he was doing greetings one day and doing some media stuff. And I said, you know, while we're at it, I said, can you give a little shout out to the wrestling to FGW? He's like, absolutely, you know, whatever. So he gives him a shout out, and the, you know, like they just sent him um, a video, give, thanking him for the shout out and giving him giving him an idea as to what he did for them. And give him a little inspiration and everything and he loved it absolutely loved it so he's it, slowly but surely he's um he's not helping me he's helping them but i want to smarten him up and like we talked about with aew if anything like that would ever happen i'd like to incorporate him in some way and say hey you know what do a run-in or, or bring us into the ring or whatever you know how tyson did in uh in wrestlemania and stuff like that. because yeah. he, he we have been we have been the best of friends for so long and it, it's very hard to say that because it's hard to say that you are, are really good friends or family with the people that are your employers. And that it took me a long time to, to balance that line because while he is my employer, he's still someone and Ricky is still someone that I go to for advice. I go to just to shoot the shit with or I'll go to as a professional. I mean, when, when you learn how to balance that and you can not let the business affect you personally you've really created the chemistry and it works perfectly <laughs> i love it man i i love the that's you you're sincere man you're you're a great guy you are i i appreciate and enjoy everything that i've seen you do on fgw there and just you being part of the five most wanted and just being there part of fgw and the ups and downs being on the road with with the friendships with bands and everything and stuff it's amazing man it is amazing what what you've been through and uh it's what what i like to tell people people that i've had more jobs than forrest gump (laughs) (laughs) i've been i've I've been very lucky you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. and like i said you know um, I think Dwayne The Rock said it best. When one door closes, go to the next one and kick that son of a bitch down and go through it and do everything that you can to make it successful. And that's what I've done. You know, there's been some doors that have slammed in my face, but I'll kick that son of a bitch wide open and I'll go through it. And if they they either accept it or they don't, you know what I mean? So I make the best of every opportunity. And I'm not saying I'm not saying they've all been great opportun or not they've all been great decisions, uh, but. I, I give everything my heart and soul 100% and if it works great if it doesn't at least I did it you know what I mean so mm-hmm. I don't want to die I don't want to die and say what if right right you, no no regrets no regrets when the good lord gets this body back it's going to be broken and the, the, the fuel tank will be empty <laughs> <laughs> that's that's amazing man uh, good choice of words I love it I love it man and 
what what do you what do you got planned here? I know everything is kind of slowing backing up. I mean, like, well, actually, it is kind of slowing backing up because of everything that's going on because things were slowly opening up. But Absolutely. what what do you what do you what do you have planned here? What what do you have coming up? Well, obviously, I'm still working with Brett. Um, wrestling has been put on hold because of this coronavirus and everything else. Uh, a lot of that is going to depend on what the CDC and what the state of Ohio and the rest of the world decides on if they're... I, I think what they do is they, they misconstrue wrestling as full combat UFC sports. And uh, yes, you're, there's injuries. Yes, there's a lot of uh, impacts. But uh, it's not like the UFC where you're causing direct injury. And uh, I think they need to be smart enough for that. But I'm going to continue to work with Brett and I'm going to go back out to Arizona uh, next, the end of next week. And... Uh, you know, I'm still going to do the personal assistant work and uh, find out right now where we sit as far as next year. If we're going to take some time off, and if we do, I'll go back into wrestling um, right away. If not, I'll have to slowly graduate back into it, get back in the gym and kind of prep my body a little bit because at my age, I have to be <laughs> really careful. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, wrestling has become my medicine. It's the greatest thing because... I've had a series of heart attacks and some other stuff happen, and the doctors were just baffled that I went back into wrestling at all. And it actually created uh, a lot of controversy in the cardiology department because one doctor was fighting with the other, and they're like, it's working, it's working. I mean, they were talking about a heart transplant three years ago, and now they're talking about just keep doing what you're doing because it's working. Um, so I, I caused a lot of controversy, and like I said, I'm gonna make the best of whatever hand is thrown at me. Um, but uh, I think for now, I'm gonna continue to work with Brett and hope that within the next four, five, six months, they bring wrestling back. In the meantime, I'm gonna give Brett my 100% in the, in the uh, anticipation of next year's tour, and then I'll come back to wrestling, and we'll do that until it's tour time next year. Amazing, man. Amazing. Hopefully it involves some AEW work, but we'll see about that. <laughs> I that would be that would be great, man. I definitely would mark out over that. Inner circle versus five most wanted man. I love it. That would that would be great, man. I can yeah, I can see you and you and uh Jake Hager going at each other. I can see Cody and Jericho going at each other. I can see Sa Shauna taking on uh Sammy Guevara. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you're, you're, now you're talking my language. <laughs> I love it. I love it, and uh, I do. I do want to thank you for taking time out and and coming on here and uh, talking with me. I had a blast talking with Holy you. Bro. And again, uh, FGW Wednesday night, seven p.m. What up, baby? Throw it down. Yes, yes. Five most wanted. Throw it up. Throw it down. And before we head out of here, Big John, where can people find you on social media at? Obviously at FGW on Facebook. There's FGW every Wednesday night. It's FGW Shockwave, which is a direct connection to uh, to the uh, Future Great Wrestling here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, but you can find me on Facebook, simply John Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, Instagram, Big John 333 And... Uh, I look forward to meeting everyone. I mean, send me a friend request. I'm on open book. You have questions that weren't covered on here, ask me, and we'll uh, we'll continue to create this legacy. And hopefully, it'll uh, it'll be a positive. Nice, nice. And 
one one thing I wanted to do mention is that I want to say thank you for your service. Hoorah. Thank yes. you, brother. Thank yes. you. Because I, 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 I want to mention that before I for, forget because I go all, all, pretty much all over the place and stuff. But yeah. I, I had uncles that served in the military, and I wanted to say thank you for your service to our country. Thank you. Thank you. It was a, it was a, an absolute honor to do that. So, some of the best times of my life with my with my boys and my unit. Nice, nice. And before I do leave, I do want to mention this here: Podcast C Network, your top source for independent podcasting. Head over to podcastc.net for great content and great shows over on the website. Hit them up on Facebook, Podcast C Network. Give them a thumbs up and a follow. Send them a tweet over on Twitter at PodcastCNet. Subscribe to their YouTube channel for video podcast over on Podcast City Network and on Twitch, Podcast City Network. You want more Everett Lee? Then hit me up on Facebook. Give me a thumbs up and a follow, Everett Lee Show. Twitter at the Everett Lore Score Lee. Instagram, Everett Lee Show. And audio portions of this podcast and previous release podcast. Head over to YouTube. The Everett Lee Show, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Podbeam, and iHeartRadio. When I need a logo or graphic design done, I use 3Count Design. 3Count Design offers a wide range of graphic design products, video photography, and other forms of media. Everything from t-shirt designs to websites. For more information, head over to facebook.com slash 3Count Design. That is facebook.com slash 3Count Design. When I want to kick back a few cold ones with my friends, I head over to City Limits Tap Room. City Limits Tap Room has a wide selection of TVs to watch your favorite sports, indoor and outdoor seating, and they are pet friendly. City Limits Tap Room also has food made fresh to order, and the grilled cheese is excellent. I recommend the grilled cheese and the apple pie cider with fries on the side. You can't go wrong with that, baby. For more information for upcoming events, head over to facebook.com slash city limits tap room. Thank you, Big John Murray, for coming on the Everett Lee Show. And that is it for the Everett Lee Show. Everett Lee signing off. Everyone have a good night and a good week and a good day. And I'll see you again next time for another episode of the Everett Lee Show. Peace.